sometimes we can find ourselves having reached a point where it feels as if things have stopped making sense in the way that they used to, or that our tactics for dealing with life have stopped working, whereas they'd always done so in the past. In situations like this, if we can muster enough self-awareness, then we realise we're going to have to stop doing whatever it is we're doing and stop thinking in the way in which we've been thinking so far. But there are differences, perhaps, in the degree of the challenge that we're confronted with in situations of this type. Sometimes it's simply a case of letting go of the perspective that we might have developed in favour of an opposing or a different perspective. Sometimes it can be a case of realising that we might have been wrong in some respect or that there was something preventing us from seeing the full picture. And so, maybe with a sense of having to swallow our pride, it's a question of needing to switch sides to some extent or open ourselves to an opposing point of view. That can be difficult enough, and yet, on occasion, the challenge can be even harder. We can arrive at a point where, manifestly, what we're doing, what we're thinking, isn't working for us any longer. But it can also be the case that, quite obviously, quite palpably, the alternatives also clearly do not offer anything better. In that case, where our personal experience is offering no way whatsoever, no road along which we can continue to travel, then we shall have to take a different journey. If the road ahead has ceased to be able to take us to where we want to go, then we shall have to turn around. Just stop and turn around and make a new course from turning inwards, exploring within ourselves to try to find whatever it is that we might need 
to find our direction once again. This, in the tarot, is what we are confronted by in the archetype of the hermit. He takes the form of an old man. Sometimes he looks like a monk or religious figure. Sometimes he looks like a wandering beggar. In some tarot decks he can have the appearance more of some kind of wizard or mystic. But what is almost always the case is that he's outdoors, walking, making a journey on foot. Typically, in one hand he has a staff to support him and help him along. And in the other hand, most often his right hand, he holds aloft a lantern that casts its light and by which he seems to be finding his way. As if this arduous journey by foot along the road is being undertaken in darkness. Because many alphabets in the Western world are written from left to right, this can create within the cultures that use those alphabets, the idea that movement from left to right is movement in a forwards direction and from past to future. Interestingly, the hermit, usually in the tarot, is depicted as moving in the opposite direction. He's facing left, and he's moving leftwards, which might create in us the sensation that he's going the wrong way. Yet, at the same time, his eyes are focused straight ahead, and he seems to be moving methodically onwards, and he has the lantern, of course, that lights his way and seems to be guiding him. It may look as if he's going the wrong way, but evidently there are good, solid reasons for his direction of travel. Sometimes the lantern, as he holds it up, is shown as being partially enfolded within his cloak or robe. Not all of the light is lighting the way ahead in that case. Maybe some of it is illuminating what's in a sense hidden within himself. This this 
archetype offers us useful lessons, useful pointers for negotiating those kinds of situations that we considered earlier when the way ahead is blocked and none of the usual alternatives seem to offer a viable way ahead. This archetype guides us because it is about guidance. The paradoxical thing about guidance, of course, is that it won't present itself without us having become stuck in the first place and having had to admit that to ourselves. In Jungian psychology, the process known as individuation, which is a process of psycho-spiritual development and growth, culminating in an expansion of understanding and awareness that in other traditions might be called awakening. But within Jungian psychology is described as the realisation of the self with a capital S. This process, individuation, can be characterised as a sequence of progressive encounters with certain archetypes. First in this sequence is the shadow, a figure representing all those aspects and characteristics of ourselves that we would prefer to keep hidden or repressed. If we're able to contend with the shadow to some degree, then the next archetype we encounter is the animus or anima, a figure usually of the opposite sex from ourselves who serves the function of a kind of guardian of the unconscious. The Jungian analyst Marie-Louise von Franz writes, If an individual has wrestled seriously enough and long enough with the anima or animus problem so that he or she is no longer partially identified with it, the unconscious again changes its dominant character and appears in a new symbolic form representing the self, the innermost nucleus of the psyche. In the dreams of a woman, this centre is usually personified as a superior female figure, a priestess, sorceress, earth mother, or goddess of nature or love. In the case of a man, it manifests itself as a masculine initiator and guardian, an Indian guru, a wise old man, a spirit of nature and so forth. This symbol for the self that von Franz describes has some interesting affinities with 
the figure of the hermit in the tarot. He is a wise old man who has turned his back in some sense to everyday human society. Maybe because he's a wandering beggar. Maybe because he's a monk. What von Franz brings into focus for us, maybe, is the sense in which this old man, stumbling through the dark with his lantern, is on the one hand a depiction of difficulty and arduous progress, but also, at the same time, an image of what it takes for us to find ourselves in the deepest, most secret, and perhaps soon to be transformative layers of the unconscious mind. To follow the path of the hermit, we turn around from our usual course in life and take an inward direction. We will need a staff, something to support us as we make our way along, and we need a cloak or a mantle or a robe, something to cover us, something to lend us protection. And then most important of all, perhaps, is the lantern, the light of awareness, of concentration and consciousness that ever guides us onwards into the dark. Curiously, in a very few depictions of the hermit, that have managed to survive through the ages. Instead of a lantern, he seems to be holding up an hourglass. An old man carrying an hourglass immediately evokes the figure of Old Father Time, Kronos, Saturn. And then... Just as curious, we have Alistair Crowley's commentary on the hermit. Crowley describes the hermit as the highest form of mercury. This card recalls the legend of Persephone, writes Crowley, and herein is a dogma. Concealed within Mercury is a light which pervades all parts of the universe equally. One of his titles is Psychopompus, the guide of the soul through the lower regions. Crowley's depiction of the hermit in his Thoth tarot deck shows the figure of the hermit being followed by the three-headed dog of Hades, Cerberus. Following him is Cerberus, writes Crowley, the three-headed hound of hell, whom he has tamed. All of this 
seems to point to something paradoxical in the nature of the hermit. On the one hand, he's the wise old man, sometimes depicted with an hourglass like old father time, Saturn. But then there also seem to be links with the very opposite of Saturn in the nature of the hermit, Mercury, whose nature is ever youthful, agile. But it was precisely this nature that meant Mercury was the ideal candidate for the task of descending into the underworld and negotiating the return of Persephone. On the one hand, then, the hermit has a gloomy, dark, ponderous, arduous, Saturnian aspect. But on the other hand, a mercurial aspect also. No matter how slow and wise he might be, at the same time, He's the one with the acumen and agility to descend into the depths and bring about transformation. Von Franz also seems alert to this paradox. The self, she writes, does not always take the form of a wise old man or wise old woman. These paradoxical personifications are attempts to express something that is not entirely contained in time, something simultaneously young and old. Accordingly, when we ourselves end up in a situation where the archetype of the hermit might offer some assistance, then maybe it's worth bearing in mind how we will be bringing all of our age, experience, wisdom into this situation, but ultimately with the aim of creating something new, something young, Hopefully something entirely fresh and newly born. The hermit is a paradoxical expression all at once of wisdom and experience. But always in the service of transformation. Always in the service of something new. Ordinarily, probably in the vast majority of situations in life that demand some kind of change from us, we don't actually need something new. As we considered earlier, sometimes it's more a case of adopting an alternative or an opposing point of view. In these kinds of instances, 
we're adopting a position. And when we do this, generally there's a sense of moving into something that was already there, moving into something that in a way is already prepared and waiting for us. Taking a new position is to seize the opportunity of something that's already in existence, that's already possible. But the archetype of the hermit has the potential of drawing our attention to the dynamics of situations demanding much deeper, much more radical change. Those cases in which it's clear, as we mentioned before, that none of the alternatives, none of the existing positions offer what's going to be needed in order to find a way forward. First of all, with that weird and paradoxical mixture of saturnine, stubborn ponderousness and mercurial agility and quick-wittedness, it's necessary to stop and acknowledge that we've stopped and to turn around and to turn inwards. As an example, suppose we adhere to a particular political ideology and we reach a point in life where our experience has demonstrated to us that this set of political beliefs that might have supported us well in the past is no longer going to do so. Then, it may be a case of simply changing to another political ideology. Jumping tracks or switching sides. But if it's apparent to us that the alternative ideologies are bankrupt also, then it may be necessary to do that radical turnabout and look deeply inside. We might start to scrutinise very deeply and carefully the ways that we actually behave in the world. What our character and our moral behaviour is actually like. And instead of, as before perhaps, choosing a political ideology and attempting to match our opinions and behaviours with it, we might instead begin to formulate a political ideology that matches what we actually do, our actual way of being in the world. We often hear the cliched expression these days, be the change. 
much that you want to see. Unfortunately, this can be taken in a rather glib sense that glosses over the dark and difficult work of the hermit. Because to be the change that we want to see involves looking deeply and honestly into ourselves to ascertain whether we actually are that change, whether that change is something that we ever can be, because if the answer is no, then we shall have to summon up something else entirely from within ourselves. The psychoanalyst Wilfred Bion offers an idea that might be rather startling to contemporary thinkers. That what can be on offer in therapy is access to the actual truth of our situation, our issues. But beyond qualifies this, the truth is not something that can be known, he says, simply put into words and told to us by a therapist. Where the truth is concerned, we can only be it rather than know it. Transformational moments in therapy aren't so much about the therapist telling us something, but more about the therapist becoming something for us, embodying something for us, that brings our truth into being in an immediate, direct way. Related to this, there's another concept in Beyond's writings figure that he calls the mystic, who maybe has some important qualities in common with the hermit in the tarot. The mystic Beyond conceives of as an individual within a group who has found the means to embody the truth of the demands of that group. When we do the work of the hermit and are successful in embodying some new truth from out of ourselves, of course that's not the end of the story. Now we have to make our way forwards again with that truth. Beyond's concept of the mystic offers some potentially useful ideas in this regard. The mystic acts as a container of the truth. Beyond suggests that there are a number of possible relationships 
between a container and what it contains. These he describes as either commensual, symbiotic or parasitic. Ideally we find a relationship to our new truth that can produce benefits for ourselves and for others. But there are other less ideal possibilities. A symbiotic relationship to our new truth, for instance, can mean that there is growth, there is benefit, but it comes at the cost of being dependent upon what it is that we've discovered, not being able to live or progress without it. And even worse, Beyond suggests that there can be a parasitical relationship to truth, where an even greater degree of dependency leads to uh, exploitation and compulsive feeding, so that ultimately both the mystic and their truth are destroyed. What Beyond seems to be highlighting is that although by doing the work of the hermit we can arrive at new original truths and embody that, nevertheless we ourselves are not that truth. We are always necessarily only a kind of container for it and therefore always in some kind of relationship to it. Having discovered it and having come into relationship to it, maybe again at some point in the future we'll find ourselves at an impasse in that case, it will be time to begin the work of the hermit all over again.